Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Lynn Testa, and this is our show for the week of September 23rd, 2019. On the show today, news, and Jim brings us up to speed on the latest castle design. I'm hoping he uses the words open concept, and it involves the love it or list it team. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who asks why you can drink a drink, but not food of food. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's interesting you bring up food, Len, because I have a dilemma. I, I have friends who have been after me about, oh, you have to get an Instant Pot. You, you don't have an Instant Pot yet? I have a tiny kitchen counter, and every time something comes in, something else has to go something out. It has to go out. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the Hunger Games of counter space. I understand. People keep telling me one of the selling points of getting an Instant Pot is like, oh my God, the pancakes you can make in this thing. They're fluffy, and they're like an inch or two thick, and it's like... Well, that's not a pancake. That's a cake. All right. That's a, I think the word you're looking for here is cake. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But but you mentioned the the two inch thick pancakes. Yeah. It actually is a thing. When I was in New York uh, a while over the summer, there was a um, all the rage Japanese pancakes that are like two inches thick. I know I bring up diabetes entirely too much, but it's just sort of <laughs> like what do they call them? Enabling foods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When we, uh, when we first got our Instapot, I realized that I could make various kinds of tacos mm-hmm. in it. So like you could do braised pork, you could do, I mean, regular tacos, obviously, and you can do, but you could do like chicken mole. I mean, there's, and, and wrap a tortilla around it, right? Throw some cilantro on it and some, some sauce and call it a taco. And I think I made tacos like five nights a week because <laughs> you could just throw it in and come back five hours later and there's food, right? Now, isn't the whole point, though, that this is a more efficient version of a, a pressure cooker or, or or you get pressure cooking without the potentially exploding and taking your head off? Or it's oh. a, I think it's a more uh, more customizable version of slow cooking. That was my understanding on it. Okay. The joy of pressure cooking is something like a pot roast where <laughs> everything comes yeah. out and it's uniformly gray. I mean, it's delicious, but it's... <laughs> It's all this unappealing color. You know, you just sort of have to get past that and enjoy your meal. I think, I think you're meal. not doing it right. So, yeah, definitely yeah. not doing it. All right, coming up next on Martha Stewart Living. We've there we got, go. No, just kidding. <laughs> all right, Jim, let's do a shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.VanCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Katie S, Craig K, and Anastasia Z, and longtime subscribers Shane S, Connor C, and Jackie G. True story, Jim. These are the folks who hand carve the grooves found on the outside of every churro sold in Disney theme parks. True masters of the culinary arts are these folks. Thank you very much for doing it. Okay. All right, Jim, on to the news. Don't forget, folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, some sad news coming out of the Magic Kingdom. The Muppets present great moments in American history is closing along with other live entertainment, the Royal Majesty Makers, also Burudika at Animal Kingdom and Hakuna Matata Time, plus Lightning McQueen's Pit Crew and the Incredibles Super Shindig at the Studios. So these kinds of entertainment changes happen every fall in Walt Disney World. So the announcement itself, the kinds of announcements aren't unexpected, but it kind of hurts to see the Muppets here. Yeah, it does. What happened? This show tests ridiculously well when they survey people say 
that they they really enjoy it. But again, it's more a show that people stumble upon, even though it's listed in the schedule. And it right. just, just wasn't pulling the numbers. And you're right. It, this is not inexpensive. Even though these puppeteers are working to a voice track that the the actual Muppet performers of today have done. Puppeteers are still, uh, they're still not college program kids, right? They're, no, no. Are they equity? Are the, are the puppeteers equity? I have been trying to get that piece of info since the story broke. And, and Disney is really not happy that the people have responded this way. They wanted this to happen quietly. And the fact that people are, are making a big a deal as they are about this. It's particularly problematic given that The Muppet Babies is started its second season over on Disney Junior. It's got a very successful product line. And right. we've even got that new Almost Live with the Muppet show coming. Yeah, kind of awkward timing. Yeah, but as you said, it's that time of year and everything's got to pull its weight. And sadly, you know, the at least as far as the kingdom was concerned, the Muppets weren't doing it. That's a shame. Yeah. Jim, one other uh, piece of news uh, out of Disney. Last week, the Animal Kingdom is getting a New Year's Eve show. So this hasn't happened in since, I think, the millennium, since the year 2000. Mm-hmm. But uh, apparently this coming New Year's Eve, 2019, the park will be open until midnight and will offer dance parties and Discovery Island, Asia, and Dinoland, along with a New Year's Eve countdown show at the Tree of Life. What makes Disney want to put a New Year's Eve party on in Animal Kingdom when they haven't done it in years. This is really about Avatar. The fact that that Mm. continues to be a draw and they believe a New Year's Eve celebration with that sort of dangling will definitely do well. And one of the things that they're trying to do out in advance of this is, you know, it's projections, it's light lighting display. There will be no fireworks because, again, you know, nobody wants to walk around feeding animals Prozac. Right. Yeah. It does get problematic because it means that come New Year's Eve, everybody has to crowd into that space in Discovery Island and stand in front of the tree and watch the countdown there. The belief is that there's going to be enough demand on New Year's Eve this year to warrant this. And also, again, you know, you got to remember we're we're also kicking the tires of all sorts of ideas that will, in fact, be trotted out and heavily promoted as Disney goes into its 50th anniversary. Oh, right, including uh, late nights at Animal uh, Kingdom. That makes sense. There you go. Jim, one, uh, one rumor I'd like uh, your take on. There was uh, there were a couple of articles floating around the interwebs last week about uh, possible delays to the Rise of the Resistance opening date at Hollywood Studios. So it's supposed to open December 5th. There were a couple of articles online that said that date might be in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. It's not what I've been hearing, though, Jim, and I was wondering if you've heard anything different. Everything I've heard from people involved says it's roughly on schedule. Mm-hmm. There was a, obviously some delay because of the hurricane, mm-hmm. but no one thinks it's going to be, no one No one has yet told me that they don't think it's going to open on December 5th. What, do, what are you hearing? They are working 24-7. It's a challenging project. There was still yeah. some technical- Four different ride systems, right? A lot of stuff that yep. has to be coordinated. But it's not a question of not only they will make their deadline, but they have to make their deadline. They have to, yeah. <laughs> not really an option at this point. No, yeah. no. Yeah. This has to be up and running at Walt Disney World in December, and in turn then has to roll out in January in Anaheim. And it's just sort of like if they have to- carry the guests through the experience they will do it <laughs> it's like in the um uh the mickey mouse cartoon the recent one where they do uh nature's wonderland no sorry it's uh it's potato land 
it's Donald and Mickey pushing Goofy on a set of rails. There we go. Through the haunted, whatever the haunted mansion was. Well, I, yeah, I, I was thinking, thinking more to the effect of, what is it, Empire Strike Backs, where Luke carries Yoda on his back. Yoda, yeah, same thing, same scene. Yeah, Lots exactly. of Imagineers with backpacks, folks, I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, Jim, uh, another uh, piece of news. Uh, as expected, the Disney Skylander testing began last week. Uh, Disney released some onboard video of it, and I got to say, it looks fabulous. I am someone's plus one for cast member testing soon Mm -hmm. and i'll report back on it when i'm done but uh, did you see the video jim yes i did i hate to say this but it looks like the skyliner is going to end up being a lot like the hogwarts express you know how everybody fretted about how the hogwarts express was going to work and how could it possibly handle all of these people and then it opened and it worked and we all looked like idiots so you know just i'm i'm (laughs) I'm hoping, again, based on the videos, that uh, smooth operation and, again, the whole issue of people broiling in the sky is yeah. not a thing. Yeah, I, I think it'll it'll be fine. I am interested in seeing the heat thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think it's going to be uh, fantastic. Jim, speaking of being a plus one, I was someone's plus one last week at a special event. I can't say where, I can't say how, and I can't say who else was there. But I got the chance to see some long-lost video from the Disney theme park archives. And I have to say it was magical. In fact, I got to see actual film footage that I didn't know existed or that I thought was an urban legend or that the the stories of which had been embellished along the years. Let me let you refresh our listeners on some of these and I will tell you what I saw. So Jim, you told the story once about a cast member being dressed up as baby new year and being thrown along a zip line in Disneyland on New Year's Eve. And I think it was in the 1960s, like 1960, 1961. Mm-hmm. Who's the character? That's Paul Castle. He was the four foot six inch tall performer from the Ice Capades. In fact, when he was in that ice show, he was called the Mighty Might. And right. Walt himself hired Paul to come to Disneyland in 61 and play mm-hmm. Mickey. And Paul hung on for. Right. 25 years. In fact, I want to say he retired in 86 as a Disney legend, but in his early days at the park, they had only just started sending Tinkerbell down the wire off of the Matterhorn back in June of 61. And again, that was because Walt had seen Tiny Klein do that back in 58, uh, August of 58, at a Disney night at the Hollywood Bowl. Basically, somebody came up with the idea that, wow, we've had Tinkerbell slide down. What if at midnight we've had Baby New Year slide down the line? And they told Paul they'd pay him extra money. And he was like, cool. And they got him to the top of the mountain. And he looked down and he said, no. And they threw him off anyway. I'm told if you look at the footage, you can see him flailing and uh, did did he get close enough to see his mouth moving because i'm told that if you're a lip reader he's not saying happy things so let me say the description of what happened does not begin to capture the glory that is the video of this actually happening so i saw the entire thing Mm -hmm. on film okay it's the masterpiece of american cinema you can see the from the top of the zipline when paul gets on Mm -hmm. all the way to the bottom and apparently there uh from what i heard uh, i heard from someone who was who was there Mm -hmm. apparently what had happened was paul had gone up i guess with union representatives Mm -hmm. teamsters if you will to the top of the matterhorn where they popped open a hatch Mm -hmm. they all got out and the it was the teamsters job to make sure that the person in the harness was in there safely, right? Mm. Union job, make sure it gets on. So, uh, so you're right. So Paul gets up there, 
five minutes to midnight, uh, looks down, says, I don't think I want to do this, and turns around to leave. So the, uh, the Teamsters call down to management and say, with a walkie-talkie and say, he doesn't want to do it. We're, you know, we're coming back down. And then the word came back that said, basically, throw him off the Matterhorn. <laughs> put, it, put him in the harness. Mm-hmm. So a Teamster stood on the hatch so it couldn't be opened. And the other members of the, the union made sure that uh, Paul was in the, in, got in the harness safely. Uh, apparently, he, there was a, I don't use the word struggle, but there was some debate about how he was going to get into it. Anyway, uh, with just a few seconds left, they pushed this four foot six tall man in a, a bodysuit wearing a large diaper oh. to look like baby New Year off of the Matterhorn on the zip line. And in video format, it is every bit, he is every bit as upset as you could make him out to be. He is flailing <laughs> as he comes, arms and legs are spinning. And because his arms and legs are spinning, he's actually turning clock, you know, like in the harness. So there's all kinds of motion of him coming down. It is not baby New Year like gliding down, waving like the queen would, would wave in a motorcade. This is someone who is desperately trying to cling to it, to grasp the air for safety. <laughs> it is the most amusing piece of, of, of somebody going through terrifying things that I've ever seen in my life. And you're right. It was a person who was narrating this film mm-hmm. who's saying, you know, if you could read lips, this is what he would say. And um, we can't repeat it, obviously, because this is a clean show. Oy. But he was not shouting Happy New Year to all of you, to no, the people below. No. Let's put it that way. Though, again, you know, they're probably entirely appropriate that he was wearing a diaper. The other thing that wasn't mentioned in this mm-hmm. was the old New Year that was going out. Mm-hmm. And that was captured on video, too. So apparently Disney had this idea that the old New Year would... Uh, get up on stage in front of the castle, say a few words, mm-hmm. and then be transported away by balloons, like in the movie Up with the house. Okay? Wow. That's the earlier part of the, of the show, like just like 10 minutes before midnight. Mm-hmm. And in concept, I guess it sounded like a great idea. Mm-hmm. The costuming here was not great. Mm-hmm. It looked like, and I'm not making this up, the Grim Reaper mm-hmm. in a white suit, like this with the sickle mm-hmm. carrying an hourglass, an old man with a gray beard. Mm-hmm. Okay. So fine. So it's death, but in his leisure suit. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can live with that. Mm-hmm. The idea though was that he would again be transported away by balloons. And mm-hmm. again, we don't release balloons anymore because they kill animals. But this was the 60s. It was a different time. Mm-hmm. The actor comes up. He's dressed as the old New Year. He does his thing, waving around the sickle, waving around the hourglass. Probably not creepy at all to those mm-hmm. who couldn't hear the audio. But then the lights go down and then they come up again and there's this clutch of balloons going up. And they have a dummy now who's dressed exactly like the actor with the sickle and the, mm. the white outfit and the gray beard. And he's going away. But it looks like, I guess because of the way that the dummy was attached to the balloons, it looks like the dummy's being hung. Like, like this is how we're, the New Year's going out because we're, we're, we're hanging him from the balloons. And this is, this is how death arrives for the old New Year. And that's how it floated up into the sort of twilight with spotlights on it above the castle of Disneyland. It was, it was mortifying. Like this, uh-huh. like whatever effect they were going for, Jim, <laughs> reminding people of their own mortality as midnight approaches was probably not what they were going for, but that's what I saw in the video. It was hysterical. And then Baby New Year comes down and Paul is flailing at everything. It was, I, I know you talked about it. Seeing it on video was just a completely different experience. It's worth noting that there is is sort of a prequel to the Father Time gag. It's the Disney, the Wonderful World of Color episode 
about uh, Christmas time at Disneyland, and they show the uh, you know the oh right Christmas yeah. fantasy parade. And there's evidently yeah. it was Wally Bogue who came up with this gag. They'd have a little kid on Main Street, and they have a, a guy with a who's a Disneyland balloon seller. The gag is a little kid. I want that balloon. I want that balloon. And so the the seller is trying to get the balloon, and at one point hands all of the balloons to the kid. And then they had a dummy dressed just like the kid. And, you know, the crowd was all Disneyland employees, and they leaned in for a second. And then the next thing you see is a clutch of Mickey Mouse balloons shooting up into the sky with a dummy dressed just like this little kid shooting up into the sky. And, yeah. and the crowd, of course, reacts. And then it's like, oh, the kid's fine. Don't worry about it. So, okay. So that's the, that must be the genesis. The, yeah, genesis the idea. I get it. Mm-hmm. The execution but literally and figuratively left a lot to be desired. Another thing I saw, Jim, in the uh, these movies, mm-hmm. we had talked a, a couple shows ago about there being a Navy admiral on hand mm-hmm. for opening of 20,000 Leagues mm-hmm. and actually commissioning them. Uh, apparently that's true. I have now uh, seen video footage of either a Navy admiral or a man with a very, very decorated uniform that he rented being on hand for the christening of the subs. So I believe that is entirely true. I later spoke to someone mm-hmm. who was in attendance at the actual opening, who mm-hmm. confirmed it was definitely, the, the Navy was definitely there and it sent someone Very for the commissioning. Cool. Okay. Um, other thing that I saw, mm-hmm. Mary Blair hand operating some uh, small world prototype dolls in an in-studio mock-up prior to the build of It's a Small World for the 64 World's Fair. So imagine you had video of Mary Blair walking someone through mm-hmm. prototype sets for It's a Small World showing how it's all supposed to work. I've seen that now, Jim. The boat was six feet off the ground, as were the sets. And Walt kind of insisted on, I want to see what I'm going to see when we install this in Flushing Meadow. And so... Right. So everything was sort of built up higher mm-hmm. off the ground in the studio mock-up. Again, getting back to the Teamsters, did you see the, the gentleman pushing the boat through the building? Or No, this was, uh, this was focusing more on uh, Mary Blair sort of showing ah. how the animatronics would operate mm-hmm. as you went through it. So in one scene, she's, you know, she's operating a doll moving back and forth, mm-hmm. showing you know, whether it would go up or down or left or right mm-hmm. or whatever on it. But, and a lot of the, the sets, like the, the, the concept, mm-hmm. so it went, I guess, from concept art to like concept set. Mm-hmm. And it was all little more than like paper cutouts of the shapes. Like they weren't plywood or it was basically like, here's a, here's, here's a piece of cardboard that we cut out or paper that we cut out mm-hmm. in the shape of a giant flower. And we're going to stick it here and use your imagination about what it's going to look like for the, um, for the final product. But it was extremely detailed. You could, you could tell instantly mm-hmm. it was, it was Mary Blair oh, dude, just man. from the shapes and the colors. Totally, right. Totally. And that was, and, it, and again, watching somebody go through it and say, in my head, this is how this thing is supposed to work. Uh, I'd never seen the the video before. I don't think any of us have ever seen that video before. That's how that's how deep in the archives this was. Another thing that I had never seen before, we've talked before about the America on Parade mm-hmm. parade, right? This was uh, 1960, 1976 yep. to what, 1980-ish. Mm-hmm. Did you know that there was a disco theme to America on Parade in like 1977, 1978 with... Like actual disco balls and smoked glass neon lights and stuff? It launched, I want to say, in 75 for right. the Bicentennial. And, you know, there were two versions created. One for Disneyland and one for Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. With the idea that it would run for the summer, shut down, and then come back up the following year. They were trying to get that little bit more life out of it. And so it's the notion of, well, this is going on in music and... During this very same period, there was, in fact, 
a Mickey Mouse disco album. So, yeah, Disney was trying to be culturally relevant in horrible ham-handed ways, and and this is one of them, you know, disco balls in the Magic Kingdom. I'm not kidding when I say the collective expression of the people that I saw that clip with Mm -hmm. to a person was the drugs were better back then. (laughs) Just to see it was like, what? I mean, some effort went into some of it. The the smoked glass neon thing. Mm The effects were actually pretty clever, especially for a parade. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it, so imagine a, um, imagine a, 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 not a cylinder, but like a trying, a three-sided sort of assembly of, of smoked glass, mm-hmm. each of which contains a piece of neon behind it, such that you only get to see one piece of neon depending on the side of the glass that you're looking at, and it all rotates. Mm-hmm. And it's all smoked glass. I mean, smoked glass is a very 70s thing. Oh, God. So it was, yeah. it was elaborate, and it was technically well done, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you can only see one piece of the, the neon glass at a time, but like... Why do we have Disney characters in neon on smoked glass in a parade? That's why, again. That entire period of the company's history, the the late 70s into the early 80s. I mean, there's there's a reason that the green mailers were circling the company because they were making bad decisions. Things like that. Bad decision after bad decision. And disco in the Magic Kingdom is is a perfect example. Was was one of them. Yeah. All right. uh, So two more interesting things that I saw. One was, is for me, the Holy Grail, Mm -hmm. the thing that I I have always wanted to see. And I think I've talked about this on the show before, but the 1964 World's Fair version of Carousel of Progress, the fourth show scene uh, to me. I had never seen video of it. In fact, when you and I did uh, our Mm -hmm. 1964 World's Fair live show, Mm -hmm. and it's on Bandcamp for those of you who want to listen to it. One of the things that I mentioned on it was that of the entire fourth fourth scene, Mm -hmm. I've only been able to ever find one still photo taken from the side of the audience of one part of the set. Like I've never actually seen what the set was supposed to look like. But it was important because it was Disney's first sort of take on a mid-century modern mm-hmm. living room, right? And we all know that that's my favorite period of American architecture. Mm-hmm. And I'd never, I'd never seen it. Like we, we've heard stories about it. I've seen, like I said, a couple of small pushed size photos of it. But Jim, last Friday night, I saw the entire scene in color. And let me just say <laughs> that I was apparently not the only one who had never seen that before because as soon as they showed that set, Mm -hmm. there was a collective ooh and ah Mm -hmm. from the entire audience along, and it was along the lines of like, if I could read the sentiment Mm -hmm. of the, of the ooh and ah, it was, oh my God, I can't believe we're looking at this. Oh my God, that's literally the perfect mid-century modern set. It was like, it's great that this exists, but look how they nailed that entire aesthetic. It was amazing. Uh. So beautiful, beautiful color on it. It was a, it's a fantastic set. I would love to see Carousel of Progress go back to it. But the other thing that was really interesting was they had apparently crammed the entire set with every piece of GE electronics <laughs> that GE was going to come out with yeah. for like the 64 Christmas season. Mm. Because, I mean, everything from like waffle irons to hair dryers had a bow on it. And the entire living room scene, there wasn't a horizontal surface that did not have some GE electric product on it with a bow on it for Christmas. It was amazing the amount of stuff that was crammed into that scene. The moment in the script where they have that sliding door that's open and you see a plane take off. Right. And yeah, get yeah, it yeah. to the moment, oh, that's grandma and grandpa flying to their retirement community in Arizona and we'll never see them again. <laughs> 
it was kind of a different time. You reach the age of 60 and it's like, I'm sorry, you know, it's time to go to the elephant's graveyard. So get on the plane. We Mom. don't have ice flows anymore to shove you off on, but here's a, here's a, here's a one-way ticket to, to Flagstaff. There we go. So. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, uh, it was a different time, Jim. Mm-hmm. One of the other clips that we saw that was memorable was the scene of Disneyland's Tomorrowland being constructed 10 days before the park actually opened. And it was amazing for a couple of reasons, mm-hmm. one of which was there was no OSHA. There were no workplace safety organizations in America in the 1960s. So there were things like one-person concrete trucks being driven around open pits, like roads with open pits in them where you could not see where you're going and fall into it instantly, like with no barriers around it or anything like that, no, no like traffic cones or anything like that. But my favorite scene is, is this. They're, um, they decide that the outside, the exterior walls of Tomorrowland need to be, need to glitter in the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so apparently they're, they're mixing up like an alcohol-based paint, probably lead paint for all I know. And they, to get it to glitter, uh, they add uh, the, uh, the mineral mica to it. And so the scene is of workers spray painting, I'm sure it, what is a flammable paint studded with mica chips out in the open air you're in California in July before Disneyland opens. No one's wearing a shirt. Half the workers have cigarettes in the one hand that's free while they're spraying painting it. And the narrator, the, 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 the person who was narrating it live for us was like, take a look at this scene. Everything you see here causes cancer in California. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was the funniest thing. Like, between the workplace safety violations, the workers with cigarettes in one hand and paint guns in the other, everyone being shirtless with those deep, deep tans that like, like, you know, like you were on Okinawa mm-hmm. in, in World War II, right? And it was, <laughs> it was amazing. Think about what you saw. <laughs> Think about how, you know, quickly you're watching that be slapped together as quickly. This was 10 days before it opened. There were, there still wasn't, we, they were walking on dirt roads as they were painting this. Like the, the, the concrete walkway had not been poured mm-hmm. for Tomorrowland at this point. Here we are 64 years later, and because that was so poorly documented, because it was going on so quickly, that Mm -hmm. even today, when they go to do anything in Tomorrowland, it's like, first of all, it's like, oh, well, that's all it asbestos, so we have to stop now and go get the proper permits and that sort of thing. More to the point, it's just sort of like, they'll be digging, and it's like, there's conduit. There's wire here. Is there, is any of this on a blueprint? And it's like, oh God, no. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, we did see uh, an extensive video, and we'll save this for another time. Mm-hmm. Um, extensive video of haunted mansion construction, which was oh. special in its own right, okay. like like how it was all supposed to work mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah, the uh, the Tomorrowland spray painting scenes, and then the concrete pours were just it's just funny because it was again it was just a different time and people were doing what they needed to do to get it done. But the, uh, like I said, uh, I saw eight hours of home movies uh. in one night. It was incredible. Like I said, the stuff that I, I, I didn't know existed to stuff that I'd only heard about. Uh, I got to see, it was a magical, magical time. Uh, wouldn't I be surprised if maybe some of this ended up on Disney plus at some point in one form or fashion, mm. but yeah, anyway, amazing, amazing stuff. We've got Leslie. I six hour long Imagineering documentary series that really, really, really looking forward to seeing. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's going to be great. And uh, I mean, a good thing about Disney Plus is they're going to need 24 hours of content mm-hmm. to, I mean, they're going to need more than that. They're going to need thousands of hours of content. Mm-hmm. So if any of this stuff makes it on there, uh, you guys have to see it. I was, 
as soon as somebody mentioned that it might be on Disney Plus, I was like, here's my credit card. Just do with it what you will. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to know. Just all just just do it and hand it back to me. Anyways, beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm really happy to uh, to have seen it. I'll try and think of some other stuff that I uh, that I saw. It's kind of all blurring together now. But if uh, if any of it comes back to me, we'll uh, we'll mention it on upcoming shows. Can't wait. All right, Jim. And speaking of uh, of construction, we're going to take a break, and then you're going to come back and tell us all about how uh, the new castle renovation at Hong Kong uh, might be the future of Disney castle construction in general. Is that right? Yep. Yep. All right, folks. We'll be right back, and we'll get to that in one second. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, Jim, uh, we were discussing the show. You had mentioned that there's some interesting stuff going on over in Hong Kong Disneyland regarding their castle construction and what it might mean for the rest of the Disney Corporation. Why don't you walk us through that? Today, when this show goes live, September 23rd, is actually the 15th anniversary of the topping out of Sleeping Beauty Castle at Hong Kong. And just early this month, on September 12th, they topped out the Rethink of Hong Kong Disneyland's castle, which now is going to be called the Castle of Magical Dreams. And I don't know if you've heard what they're doing with this one. They're effectively extending the castle upward, and they'll have 13 different towers that celebrate, and they're very careful about this. No. The Disney princesses and heroines. Because if you're talking about somebody like Merida, she's mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, I guess she's a Disney princess or is Mulan a princess or some such. But when they first opened Hong Kong Disneyland in 2005, it was a duplicate of the Disneyland castle from Anaheim. And face it, there was kind of a precedent for that because Tokyo Disneyland opens in April of 1983, and at the end of its Main Street, or excuse me, it's at the end of its World Bazaar, as you look out, there across the way is a Cinderella castle, just like the one in Florida. So we've done this. But if you think back to the original Disneyland castle when it opened in 55, there was mm-hmm. nothing in it. Opening day, somebody left a door open, and there were people who wandered up into the second floor of the building and were standing in front of the parapet. And because sure. the forced perspective thing, it's like, look at those giants who've invaded the castle. It's like, <laughs> no, that's that's forced perspective. But from 55 to 57, Walt never missed a trick. And he would wander around the park and notice that every exposed doorknob on the Sleeping Beauty Castle in Anaheim was shiny and, you know, like, like like polished brass. And that was from all of the guests who, as they walked by, would turn the doorknob because they wanted to get into the castle. It's like, all right, sure. all right, finally, let's do this. And so in 57, they opened the Sleeping Beauty Castle Diorama Walkthrough. But it's what fits in the space, you know, and they bring Shirley Temple out and she officiates and they get it opened. And it helps with the overall capacity of the park, but it's still... Not what the guests want. They want to have an experience in the park. And so the Imagineers mm-hmm. note that. And so in November of 1965, 
Project X, uh, Project Future, the, depending on the whole Florida park gets announced. And the only thing we know at that point is that a Disneyland-like theme park is going to be one of it, the main attractions of this Disney World project. And this mm-hmm. castle, or this theme park, will have a castle. What's kind of interesting is in the six years from 1965, when they had the press conference, to when the park opened in 71... Plans for Disney World changed numerous times. In fact, Len, the version of Disneyland that finally opened in Anaheim was was Master Plan Number Sixty Seven. <laughs> it's, it's like whatever happened to preparations A through G. Well, right? no, that, that's it exactly. Heinz Heinz one through Heinz fifty six. Yeah. What what happened? Yeah. The park that opened in Florida was actually Master Plan Number Seventeen. So they knew from the fact the way people talked about Sleeping Beauty Castle, we need to put something inside of the structure. So first thing they did is they obviously increased the height. The castle in Anaheim is 77 feet tall. The one in Orlando, depending on whether you measure from water level or if you measure from the bottom of the boat, it's either 183 mm-hmm. feet tall or 189 feet tall. But it's like, okay, we need to put something inside of this. So... That's when they came up with King Stefan's Banquet Hall, which right. I don't need to tell you. King Stefan is not in Cinderella. King Stefan is in Sleeping Beauty. So clearly they had the Anaheim Castle on the brain while they were working in the Cinderella Castle. And it was only when it was open and guests began to point out to them that it's like, oh, we named it after the wrong guy. Oh, that's fine. So who was the corresponding character in Cinderella. Was there one? The king in Cinderella never has a name. I mean, his son is yeah, Prince so. Charming, so in theory he's King Charming. Or King Congenial. <laughs> Something to that he's just he's somewhat friendly, yeah. But not standoffish. It doesn't doesn't roll off the tongue. Again, everybody knows about how initially there were plans to put a suite for the the Disney family inside of the castle. In fact, in, on the third floor above King Stephens. Uh, but when Arroyo passed away in December of, of 1971, that idea fell by the wayside. They just have shoehorned stuff in for a while. The, the Walt Disney World Call Center was up there for a while. It, it was mm-hmm. parade control in when they began doing the uh, Tinkerbell flying from the castle over to Tomorrowland Terrace in July of 85. That actually became mm-hmm. uh, this performer's dressing room. Hmm. And again, we talked about how uh, in April of 83, Tokyo Disneyland gets its own version of Cinderella Castle. But at the same time, you were talking about how you know Disney was different in the 60s with all of the GE products on the last scene of the Carousel of Progress. Disney was definitely different in the mid-80s as well. I mean, when they opened at Tokyo Disneyland, the Cinderella Castle Mystery Tour walkthrough. That opens in July of 86. But here's the thing, Len. The finale of that attraction is built around... The Black Cauldron, which had opened literally a year beforehand and had had so badly bombed at the box office, there there was even talk of shutting down Walt Disney Animation Studios. They weren't making movies that were connecting with audiences anymore. And But yet, a year later, here's this attraction that opens where the finale is literally built around the villain from The Black Cauldron, the Horn King. And whenever I've asked anybody in Imagineering about it, they said, we were too far along in the build. We'd already spent the money. 
And, you know, we pointed it out to the Oriental Land Company executives that this scene's based on a movie that bombed at the box office. And they were their attitude was, we don't care, you know, that we spent the money. Install it. Now Michael Eisner comes through the door and he wants to be that much more connected with the public. And so it's not till January of 2000 that Disney officially launches the Disney Princess franchise. And, you know, within six years' time, somebody like, well, wait a minute, we're selling all of these princess dolls and these princess dresses and these faux crowns. And why don't we create a space where we can do sort of a makeover, kind of like the barbershop on Main Street? And so we get the very first Bippity Boppity Boutique. Oh, okay. But that's built, uh, you know, what then was Downtown Disney, uh, now Disney Springs inside of the world of Disney Superstore. It does great business, but wouldn't we do fantastic business if we were actually inside of the castle? You know, in fact, directly across from what's now known as Cinderella's Royal Table. And so the following year, September 2007, the Bippity Boppity Boutique opens inside of Cinderella Castle. And then 18 months later, we get our very first Bippity Boppity Boutique inside of Sleeping Beauty Castle at Disneyland Park. And again, this is more, you know, a notion about the public told us that's what they want. You know, they want these retail opportunities in the building that inspire that moment of sales resistance that goes away when you, you know, walk in the door with your daughter at the castle and look in and, you know, there's all these little girls having makeovers and getting dressed as Belle or Ariel or that sort of thing. You know, that's what's kind of intriguing about the, both the castle in Shanghai and now the redo of the castle in Hong Kong. In fact, the castle itself won't open till the summer of 2020, but the Bippity Boppity Boutique in Hong Kong opened inside of the castle uh, back in July of this year. I mean, you could literally walk into a building that's under construction and it's like, I, I want my daughter to get a makeover. And it's like, absolutely, come on in and avoid the girder. Now, January of 2011, we saw the launch of projection-based shows in the castle. Uh, the first one was The Magic, The Memories, and You, uh -huh. and Cinderella Castle. And as the guys are designing the castle for Shanghai Disneyland, they actually take that into account, the whole notion of... In fact, there's a lot of people who complain when they look at Shanghai Disneyland, it's, it's very blocky, it's very big. And it's like, well, that's because it has the largest amount of projection services of a Disney castle. <laughs> we, we need to make this movie screen look like a castle. Go. No, that's it exactly. <laughs> and in fact, if we get back to the Castle of Magical Dreams, what they're doing in Shanghai right now, yes, they're adding these 13 towers, but they're building up and they're building a giant projection service. So at the end of the night, you can have your projection show right there in the park. And if you go to Disneyland and catch a projection show, you see mm -hmm. it on Main Street, or you see it on the Small World Show Building, or you go over mm -hmm. to the Rivers of America and they, they project it on the water screen. The one place yeah. you can't see it is on Sleeping Beauty Castle, and that's because it's the wrong that's angle. There's not enough surface. You know, there's so many trees. Yeah. And with Hong Kong, the thinking was, we're limiting ourselves. And, you know, we're looking at what's happening at Shanghai. We're looking at what mm -hmm. happens at Walt Disney World. And... We need the surface. So these changes that are made at these parks with these castles and, and how they're, they're swapping them out 
are all driven by the bibbity boppity boutique does great business when it's inside of a castle. Which brings me to my next question, Lynn. With that being the driving force for the bibbity boppity boutiques, what do you make of the bibbity boppity boutique going into the grand flow? It makes sense for that location, Mm -hmm. but the service and sort of the, the, Theming in the service mm-hmm. makes sense in the Grand Floridian. Like I could probably also see it in the contemporary. In the Polynesian, it would be a little more strange, mm-hmm. right? You wouldn't expect Cinderella to be walking around the Polynesian, right? But uh, it kind of makes sense in the context of the Grand Floridian. I'll say it, it definitely makes more sense than having a Beauty and the Beast-themed bar mm-hmm. in uh, in the Grand Floridian. Yeah, I'm not opposed to it. We were talking with a friend at Imagineering about this, and he was saying that if you, you look at the Papity Papity Boutique that just went live, if you look at the Enchanted Library bar that's about to open, it's like, get ready for more of these sorts of things at that hotel, that this is our property that is more closely associated with the Magic Kingdom, and going forward, they're going to really strengthen that connection. So I'm just going to be intrigued to see what the next phase is. Yeah, well, uh, it definitely looks interesting. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. If you still want more, head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Zedeco Adams, who'll be playing electric accordion at this weekend's Bogalusa Blues and Heritage Festival in Bogalusa, Louisiana. Jim, I know you know that uh, Aaron's middle initial really is Z. You did not know it stood for Zedeco, I believe it. <laughs> I learned so much on the show. <laughs> All right, folks, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show. 